Life is about seasons. We go through seasons in life, right? Not just with the weather, but also in, in our life, with our, our job. We go through seasons in jobs, or we might switch jobs, or even inside that job, there's a season or two. Or uh, in school, we go through seasons in school. And with our relationships and our friendships, you, may, you go through a season of parenthood that's different when the kids are young than it is when they're older, right? You go through seasons of being single. And, and all kind, life is just full of seasons. Nobody is exactly today where they were 20 years ago because life is about seasons. And to a degree, we understand that, right? We understand the natural seasons of life. We understand the seasons that we have in the earth. You know, we don't necessarily love the fact that it's 98 degrees in, in Augusta in August with 200% humidity, but we put up with it because we know that's just kind of the way it is, you know? It's not something we would love, but we put up with it. However, the spiritual seasons that we go through, which are just as real and just as prevalent and just as sure, those can trip us up sometimes because we don't necessarily understand our spiritual seasons. We understand the seasons of parenting and, and job and school and all those things, but the spiritual seasons in our life, we don't really understand because for some of us, maybe we've just been taught wrong. We've been taught that, you know, if you give your life to Jesus and you become a Christian, that he's just, his job is to just make your life really wonderful. And it's just gonna be awesome all the time. And so when you go through one of those seasons in your faith where it's not so great, you start to think, why is this happening? I thought God, you know, God's a good father. He says, if you know how to give good gifts, how much more does your heavenly father? And so we think, well, if I was the father and this person loved me, I would make sure their life was just always up here, right? And so we don't understand why God allows us to go through lower seasons even in our faith walk. And so we can become frustrated, we can become discouraged. Sometimes it's just because we don't have a really great understanding of the word of God. You know, maybe we just like to cherry pick a few scriptures that make us feel good about ourselves and then when something goes on in our life that we're not excited about, we can become frustrated. I have seen so many people that have become, that get frustrated with God because they really don't understand his character. Because at the end of the day, they really think his job is to make our life just real easy and peachy and never have any problems. When in reality, that's not his top priority in our life. And many people have fallen away from God because they didn't understand the fact that we go through spiritual seasons in our life. And I don't think any one of us in this room want to fall away from God, right? We want to have that relationship with him continue to grow in our life. And knowing that we're gonna go through, se through seasons in our spiritual life is crucial for us to understand the very seasons that we go through. In fact, the Bible promises us that we're gonna go through seasons, not just in the earth, not just winter and summer and all those things, but we're gonna go through seasons in our life. In fact, the Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians 6, in verse nine, he says, let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season, everyone say in due season. In due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So the seasons of reaping are the ones we like. The seasons of sowing, we don't always like. And it's in those, sometimes in those lower seasons that we have to sow so that we can reap later. Paul's encouraging us here, it says, listen, don't get weary. Don't fall away from God because you're in a spiritual season that's difficult. Hang on, keep sowing, keep sowing, keep sowing because the promise of God is that we will reap if we do not give up. That's a great promise from God. It's one of the best promises in all the Bible to encourage us to continue in our walk with him. And knowing it is so crucial because we are going to ride an emotional roller coaster in this life. We're going to. And I know guys, you know, guys, we don't like to talk about emotions. You know, we're, 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 we're anchors, you know, we're rocks. We don't get emotional. The only time we're allowed to be emotional is it has something to do with our team, right? 
whether good or bad. You'll see more emotion out of a dude watching a football game than you'll see him anywhere else in the world. Which is proof that we have emotions. It's just the rest of the time a lot of guys just try to squash them. And the, the older I get and the more I get in touch with my emotions and realize that I actually do have them and I don't try to squash them, but I actually manage them and embrace them, I realize, wow, I'm actually a pretty emotional guy. And that's okay. But we all are. It's all a matter of whether or not we recognize it. And we're going to ride to some degree an emotional roller coaster. And we have to understand that there are seasons in our faith because when we understand the seasons in our faith and we understand that when I'm feeling a little down, it's not necessarily that God's abandoned me. It's just a season in my life. Then the emotions don't get the driver's seat. The emotions are part of it, but they don't get to say what I'm going to do. They don't get to tell me where to go and how to respond and what I'm going to think about my God during those seasons. But we have to recognize it. We have to understand that even in our faith, it's about seasons. And for some of you, this might be revelationary for you. Because you've just been always under the impression that if God loves me, I'm always going to be up here. And I'm here to tell you today, church, there is nowhere, no person in this book will you find that just rode from mountain to mountain. Nowhere. And I don't know anybody in personal life, any human that's ever experienced that kind of relationship with God because it's not his character. It's not who he is. And I'm gonna hopefully help us understand that today. The emotional highs and lows in faith and our faith must be managed so that we don't fall away like so many others have in their life. And we need to see these things with the understanding that even our spiritual life is about season. So I wanna to talk to you today about Elijah. We're talking about people, places, and things. We're gonna talk about Elijah today. Elijah, I'm gonna give you a, a brief timeline uh, of a lot of what is said about him in the scripture. Not everything. Most of his story is told in 1 Kings and a little bit in 2 Kings, and he's mentioned a few other places. But Elijah was one of the greatest prophets ever to walk the earth. Powerful man of God. Loved God. It was obvious the evidence was there that he loved God. It was also obvious that he was eccentric, <laughs> which a lot of prophets were. And, uh, but it, it, he, he lived during a time when, the king, when Israel's kingdom was already divided. It was already Judah and Israel. And the king of Israel was Ahab who the Bible is very clear to tell us that he was the most evil king Israel ever had. And his wife was Jezebel, who was very evil too, and she actually ruled with him in a lot of ways. You see from the scriptures, she kind of ruled, she kind of ran the show, and he kind of did what she said. But they were very evil. They were, they were enticing the Israelites to serve the, the Baal, uh, the God whose name was Baal, uh, who was the God of the thunder and of the weather, according to them. And a lot of people called him the Lord of the Rain which is funny that it seems like a spinoff of Lord of the Rings, but that one came first. So, uh, But he was living during this time. And so he was a, a great man, and God spoke to him. We were introduced to him in 1 Kings, and God speaks to him and tells him, go to Ahab and tell him that it's not going to rain in the land for a while. God was judging Israel because of their, their rejecting him and serving Baal. And so he goes to Ahab, and he tells him this. And he gets, this is, a, this is a high point for Elijah. You know, he gets to tell the king a prophecy, and this thing happens, it comes true, and there's no rain for a while. Well, the fact there was no rain didn't turn their hearts, it just made them mad. So God actually tells Elijah, hey, you, you need to go down to this, this brook, to this uh, valley, ravine, and hide from Ahab for a while because he's really upset. So Elijah goes from being up here because he got this prophecy right to going down here, now he's running away from Ahab, right? But then he's at this place, and God actually feeds him miraculously. He has ravens bring him meat and bread in the morning and in the evening. That's pretty cool. He brings him, brings him food so he doesn't have to even find his food. And there's a brook there that he's supposed to drink the water out of that brook. So he's taken care of during this huge drought. And this is another high point for him. He's seen God's miraculous provision, right? Well, then a little later, 
All of a sudden, the brook dries up. There's no more water. The drought is so severe, there's no water left. So now we're back here at the bottom. And Elijah's going, now what do I do? And God says, I want you to go to this widow in this town over here, and she's going to feed you and take care of you until this drought is over. So he's back up again. He's okay. So he goes to this widow, and uh, if you know the story about this widow, she's gathering some sticks because she's going to make a fire because she only has a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil left. And she tells Elijah, we're going to make one more meal for me and my son, and then we're going to die. And Elijah says, make the meal, but make it for me. And I promise you, you will not run out of flour and oil until this drought is over. And so God provides for them miraculously. And her flour and oil never run out for all this time. It's an incredible, miraculous provision from God. So Elijah's back up here again. Well, then a little time later, the widow's son dies. He gets sick and dies. So now we're back down here. This is, I'm, this is the timeline in the book. I'm not picking and choosing to try to give you different highs and lows. This is literally how the book goes. And uh, so the son dies, and the widow comes to him and says, well, you gave us foods we can eat just so he could die of a sickness now? And so now Elijah's down here again. Well, he goes and prays for him. And if you know the story, he prays for him, and he brings him back to life. He's, he's resurrected. In fact, I believe it's the first case in the Bible where someone was brought back from the dead. That'd be, I, I think we could say that qualifies as being a high point, right? He, he brought him back from the dead. Incredible height. And then he goes... Back to Ahab. God sends him back to Ahab and says, I want you to tell him to bring all the prophets of Baal. We're going to take them up on Mount Carmel, and we're going to have us a little brouhaha up there. And so Elijah does it. They go up to the mountain. This is one of the most famous stories in all the Bible on Mount Carmel. They're on the mountain, and, and Elijah tells all the prophets of Baal, 450 prophets of Baal, build an altar, put a bull on there, sacrifice it, and, and ask your God to come and consume your offering. And I'll do the same. We'll ask my God to come and consume my offering. And so the prophets of Baal go first. They build this, this altar. They have their offering there. They're praying to Baal, you know, the God of thunder, you know, come and strike this, this uh, offering. And they do it for hours. They end up cutting themselves because they think maybe that'll get them to do what they want them to do. And never did anything, obviously. So then it's Elijah's turn. He has them dump a bunch of water on his offering. He had built, dug a ditch around it. The water was so much water, it filled up the ditch with water. And he prayed a very quick, brief prayer. God immediately comes down, consumes his offering. The Bible says that he even lapped up, licked up the water in the ditch. Powerful, powerful moment in the scriptures. And the people are even shocked. They're blown away. They said, oh my goodness, his God is God. And, and Elijah immediately says, kill these prophets of Baal to keep them from keeping everybody away from God. So they do it. It's another mountaintop experience for Elijah. And then from there... He says, oh, by the way, it's going to rain too. So he prays and God releases rain after three and a half years. There hadn't been any rain. He prays, God makes it rain. Another high point. Well, instead of the people's hearts turning towards God because of all this, it actually made Jezebel mad because he killed off all her prophets. And so she sends a messenger to Elijah and says, by this time tomorrow, you're going to be just like those prophets. So again, Elijah is on the run. So he's down here again, on the run, running from Jezebel. And it actually says that he basically sits down and he prays to God. He basically says, God, I have had enough. He says, please, please just let me die. So obviously, way down here again, just this constant roller coaster of a man who loves God, a godly man, a prophet, who's good enough to be in the Bible. So you're not better than him, right? None of us are. And he's on this roller coaster up and down. And so we see that we are too, because then after this, he actually has an experience with God, God he meets with God, and God feeds him again and encourages him. And uh, I'm going to share a little bit about that later on. But my point here is that we see that he had a lot of ups and downs. But what we see in this is that God was training him to depend on him. See, that's why God allows these ups and downs in our life. 
One of the reasons is because he's teaching us to trust him. He's teaching us to depend on him. If he just kept us up here, we'd just be trusting the peaks in our life. He's always wanting us to go to a deeper level of dependence on him, not just in the highs, but also in the lows. And how many of you know that God is faithful when we're up here, and he's also faithful when we're down here? It does not change. His faithfulness does not change. It never changes. It doesn't matter where we are in our emotions or how we feel or even our circumstances in our life does not change the faithfulness of God. We just sang, great is your faithfulness. It probably stirred your heart a little bit when we sang it, didn't it? Because you just feel it. You know it. You know when you sing that, you know, you know what? That's the truth. That's the truth. He really is. His faithfulness is so great. There's not a word for how great his faithfulness is. The only one we have for it is great because that's who he is. So his faithfulness doesn't change, and he's trying to help us or cause us to depend on him more every day. So what I want to talk to you about today is God's faithfulness in our seasons. And I want to start with telling you that God is faithful in a season of drought. He's faithful in a season of drought. Do you ever feel like your spiritual life looks like this picture? Like a dry, cracked desert floor? Like not, not, your, not your finances, they probably feel like that too sometimes. I'm talking about your walk of faith, your relationship with the Lord. Sometimes it feels dry and cracked. It feels like there's no fruit being produced in your life. It feels like your efforts are all just going down into the cracks and no fruit, no, no life is actually coming up out of it, right? I think we all probably feel like that at times where we feel like there's just not much happening. And you may even got to where you've asked yourself, is it really worth it? Is it worth it to serve the Lord when I feel like this? I just... I wonder if it's worth it sometimes. I'm, I know we ask ourselves that. And, and when we feel like this, we fully believe that no one understands what we're going through. No one understands how we feel because in our perception, everybody else, their spiritual life looks like this. Ah, lush green pastures with a, with a brook going through it with nice fresh water and vegetation and everything's just flourishing. This is everyone else's spiritual life and mine is the one with the cracked floor on the desert, right? And some of the reason we feel that way is because that's just in our nature, to feel like we're the only one dealing with what we're dealing with. But another part of it is because we've been trained somewhat in the church that we have to look like we look like that even when we don't, right? We love to talk about authenticity and how important it is to be authentic, right? We want to be authentic and real. But oftentimes we leave our authenticity right at the door when we come into the church because we want to put up that facade to make it look like we got it all together, right? So it makes that person with the dry, cracked, spiritual life right now feel like they're the only ones going through it because we're all putting on the facade making it look like we have it together when in reality that doesn't help us when we act that way and it doesn't help anybody else either because the way we're encouraged in our faith the way we're encouraged when we're in that drought one of the ways is to be able to talk with others about it and be real and say you know what i actually feel really dry right now i feel i actually feel far from god i know i'm not far from god because i know what the word says but the way i feel is that i'm far from god and, and our feelings have a say in our life because we are emotional people. But when we put up the facade, like, oh, I got it all together, you know, I just, man, praise God, glory, hallelujah, amen, God is good, he's faithful, and all the good stuff, but inside we're dying and we're not willing to say it. When in reality, we need to be real with what we are dealing with in our life because it is so, so important that we can trust God even in the seasons of drought. Because we are all going through droughts in our life at some point or another. And oftentimes it's not because of anything we've done on our own. Sometimes it's something that God's just taken us through. In fact, in, in Elijah's experience, he went through a natural drought that had spiritual implications. 
In 1 Kings 17.1, he speaks of the natural drought. He says, Elijah the Tishvite from Tishba in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. So this was a judgment on Israel, but Elijah wasn't immune to it. He was gonna have to walk through it as well with them, right? But God was faithful in the drought. God provided for Elijah in spite of the drought because that's who he is and that's what he does. The drought does not limit God's ability to meet our needs, church. When we're in a drought, God's not limited in that to meet us in that place. In fact, when he meets our needs, when he, when he provides for us in a season of drought, he is more sure to get the glory because we know it's him. Elijah goes on the next couple verses in 1 Kings 17. He says, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. I highlighted the word there because it's important that we understand that God's provision in the drought is, is, it is, it is imperative that we follow his lead. He's saying, listen, Elijah, I want you to go there because that's where the provision is going to happen. We have to be obedient to, to follow God wherever he guides us. He could have had ravens feed him anywhere, but he wanted to make sure Elijah was going to obey his word. So he said, I want you to go there, and that's where the ravens are going to feed you. Some of you, you may be in a drought right now in your life. You may say, boy, spiritual drought, that, sound, that describes my life pretty, pretty much to the T right now. God may be speaking to you and saying, I want you to go there. I don't know where there is for you. It might be a geographical place. It might be a mental place. It might be a place of forgiveness. It might be a place of, of letting something go. But God is saying, I want you to go there. That's where you're going to experience the provision that I have for you in this season of drought. If Elijah just said, oh, well, you know what? I'm, God loves me, so I'm pronouncing this drought, but I'm just going to hang out in the field and just trust that God's going to do what he's going to do. But God was very specific. I want you to go there, and that's where they're going to provide for you. Sometimes it's not as tangible for us as it is for Elijah about God's provision. His was obvious, very obvious. Ravens bringing food in their mouth for a, for a human. That, you don't see that every day. So uh, it was much more tangible for us. Sometimes it's not as easy to see it. Sometimes we don't see it until hindsight, looking back. Sometimes we proclaim it because we experience it and we're excited. Sometimes we proclaim it in faith because we can't see it. But we have to believe and understand that God is the one that provides for us during the drought. And this whole drought was, for Elijah, it was to teach him to be more dependent on the Lord in his life. Just like he does for us. Droughts in our life are about teaching us to be dependent on him in our life. So another drought that Elijah had to deal with was when the brook dried up. So the, the, the drought of no rain affected the drought right beside him too, with this brook actually drying up. And it, it ended up taking him to this widow who the widow was experiencing the drought too because she had no food left. So you're seeing all these droughts, but you're seeing God provide because Elijah is following the word of the Lord to do what the Lord called him to do. And I think it's really interesting because uh, the, the widow and her food, you know, God, why didn't God just fill up her jar of oil and fill up her big container of flour and make it done with it, you know, and just blow their minds how he did that and let them enjoy that. Instead, the scripture seems to suggest that she just had that little bit of flour and oil. It just never got used up. Again, it's because God wants us to be dependent on him. They were waking up every morning saying, okay, we only got enough for the day again, so we're having to constantly be dependent on the Lord. And if, the, if a drought in our life draws us to depend on him more, then that's a good thing. 
And that's something we don't have to resent in our life. We can trust God through it in our life. Oh, that we would have the heart and the mind of King David in Psalm 63 in our drought. He said, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. See, too often when we go through a drought, we want to blame God or we want to walk, we want to step away or, or uh, get frustrated or fall away from God. But to have the heart of David to say, my soul thirsts for you, my body longs for you in a dry and weary land, that it would cause us to draw closer to him, not to fall away from him. God is also faithful in the season of intimidation that we see in Elijah's life here too. No one likes to feel intimidated, right? Whether it's a teacher or a boss or a friend or God forbid, a spouse or even a pastor, be feeling intimidated is never ever a good thing. It's a helpless feeling. You know, if, you, if you're in a room and you're having a good time and you're, you, you, can be go, you can go from jovial and then that person that intimidates you walks in the room, you can go from being happy and excited to having a stomach ache in a moment, all right? Because of intimidation in your life. It's something that we all have to experience at, time, at times. But God is faithful in the midst of us even being intimidated. Do you ever feel like this person in this picture? Where everybody's just kind of beating down on you and you're afraid and you're just constantly feeling intimidated in your life or, or not even constantly, but you go through seasons where you feel intimidated. There will be times where you will be intimidated. Sometimes it's real, sometimes it's perceived. But you know what? This is one of the enemy's major tactics in our life. This is a major tool of the enemy to intimidate us as followers of Jesus. Because if he can intimidate us and get us to be fearful and cause us to recoil and kind of curl up and get into, the, get into that position of just protecting ourselves, then he is winning the battle in our life. That's what, exactly what he wants us to do, to keep us from being effective for the kingdom of God and even to be able to thrive in our own life. And I'll tell you today, oftentimes it comes after a spiritual victory. You could probably think back to a time where you had a great victory in your life, where you experienced God in a way where you were just, wow, that's incredible. You know, you had that moment where you said, God, I'll never doubt you again. And three days later, you're going, God, are you real? Right? Because we have emotions. And, and when we have those victories, that's almost like it's, a, it's a, a, a flag for the enemy that sees you have a victory to come against that and try to squash that victory in your life. In fact, the youth are going to a youth camp this week up to Cleveland, Tennessee. About 32 of them going, something like that. A lot of youth. And those of us that have ever been on a youth trip, I mean, this is a spiritual high. You guys are going to go. You're going to have a blast. You're going to experience God in ways you didn't think you could. You're going to grow in your friendships. Everything's going to be great. You're going to be excited. You're going to come back. You're going to be talking about it. You're going to think you can get your friends saved. It's going to be one of those incredible high moments in your life. Do not be surprised if two days after you get back, you're struggling with feelings of hopelessness. Or feelings of, like, was that even real? Because that's exactly what the enemy does. But if we recognize it, then we can recognize it and say, okay, I see that. I see that's the enemy's plan. What happened to me was real. God is real. What he did in my life is real. And I'm not going to let him intimidate me to the point of recoiling back. You know, it's funny because in, in church work, the best Sundays that we have in church work can bring some of the toughest Mondays. It's true. 
Some of the best Sundays where we walked out of here on a Sunday going, man, you could just tell the Lord was moving in the hearts of people. It's just exciting. People were happy to be here. The worship was good. The sound was good. We didn't have any feedback on the sound. I mean, that's a miracle. And it was just a great day. And Monday morning you're going, was any of it, was any, of it any good? Was it worth it? And it's just the enemy wanting to discourage. You know, there's a thing among a lot of pastors will say there's not a pastor out there that doesn't drive by Home Depot on Monday mornings and wonder if they're hiring, you know? <laughs> because you could just get discouraged because you have these highs. Sunday mornings are the greatest time of the week for a pastor. And then all of a sudden Monday you're feeling like, man, did, I have, did it make an impact? Does anybody remember what we did yesterday? You start to think like that and you can get intimidated and feel like you can get fearful and think, man, are we even having an impact? Are we even doing any good? Is this just all a waste of time? I mean, it's amazing the thoughts that can go through your head when you're being intimidated by a spirit of intimidation. Elijah just destroyed 450 prophets of Baal and brought rain that it had, where it hadn't rained in three and a half years. It doesn't get higher than that. There's no higher peak in the spiritual life than that. Yet within a short amount of time, he's running for his life and asking God to kill him because of a spirit of intimidation that was, that was operating through Jezebel and through Ahab in that country. And he hid from the king after he just confronted him and had this incredible experience on Mount Carmel. Because of intimidation, he ran and hid. And the enemy's job and his focus is to try to get our focus off of our victories and get it on our fears. Because if he could do that, he has got us. Because we will be very, very ineffective. God is faithful in the seasons of intimidation. He's faithful. First thing we have to know is that they don't come from him. God doesn't bring intimidation into our life. He's not one that would intimidate us to bring fear into our life. In fact, Paul, in his letter to, second letter to Timothy, in chapter 1, verse 7, he tells us very clearly, and many of you know this verse, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. We've quoted this verse over our lives probably many, many, many times for some of us, reminding ourselves that, that, that intimidation is not from God. And if you're getting intimidated and you're feeling like a, a, a vague intimidation where you're starting to question and you're fe being fearful, you can know that that's A, it's not from God, and B, it's probably from the enemy. And you don't, it's, it, it may be even a season, but it can be a very, very short season in our life because God has given us the victory. It's so important in these times, church, when we feel this way that we are transparent with somebody in our life. The enemy is defeated by the word of our testimony. He's defeated. When we keep it to ourselves, that's exactly what the enemy wants. He wants us to isolate and feel like we're the only ones struggling. You know, I can't tell somebody that I'm feeling like I'm being intimidated by the enemy. I have the, I have the Holy Spirit living in me. How can I possibly admit that to someone? Well, the irony is we've all had to deal with it. And let me tell you, I talk about transparency. I'll be completely transparent with you. I was dealing with it six days ago. And Joy and I were meeting and talking about some stuff with the church, and I started talking about it. And as I was talking about it, I heard the absurdity of it even coming out of my mouth, which was good, and frankly got victory over it very, very quickly. It doesn't always work that, that quickly and that easily, but man, when we're transparent, we talk about where our struggles are, and, and we start to voice it out. Sometimes we realize, man, I'm really believing some really bad lies. And you, it, it actually empowers us and emboldens us to start standing on the truth and not believe in the lies that would come our way. It's so important. God is also faithful in a season of confusion. We can be confused a lot in our faith. Do you ever feel like you're confused? 
You ever feel like you have more question marks hovering over your head than answers? You feel like the person in, in this picture or one of those people? The blue guys, they look really cold. But you, you feel confused in your faith sometimes? I'm here to tell you today that you are going to feel confused sometimes in your walk with God. Because there's, there's going to be times that God's going to be doing something that to you is going to seem like he's doing the opposite of what he's telling you or what he, you think he should be doing. Because the Bible is clear that God's ways are a lot higher than ours. God's ways, his, his thoughts are higher. His ways are higher. Everything about him is so much higher than us. Sometimes he gives us a glimpse. Sometimes he gives us some understanding. But sometimes he doesn't. And so there's going to be times that we are confused in our faith. Even if you love Jesus. And even if you're determined to follow him, even if you're reading your Bible and you understand the character of God, you're still going to have times of confusion. Now, I can tell you, if you're half-heartedly serving God, you're going to live in confusion because you're not really going to understand his character. You're not really going to have a lot of discernment about what he's doing if you're only half-heartedly serving him. But if we're fully serving him, if we're dedicated and we're bought in and Jesus is my Savior and my Lord and I love him, I want to live my life for him, you're still going to have times of confusion in your life. I can tell you one time for me that lasted off and on for a long time, actually. When I was 26 years old, I was a missionary in Africa, and uh, the Lord spoke to my heart. I knew it was him. It wasn't audible, but I just knew he was speaking to my heart. He said, uh, you're going to be in pastoral ministry in the church. And the reason I knew it was him was because up until then, I wasn't even sure that I would want to work in the church. I thought I was going to be a missionary, and, and I was going to you know, be martyred, and you know, I was going to live in the bush, and do all these crazy things, and, and God said, you're going to be in church ministry. And so I, I accepted it, and I actually got excited about it. I came home from Africa, Joy and I got engaged, and while we were engaged, my home church calls me and says, hey, our youth pastor's moving to Canada. We need a youth pastor. Job's yours if you want it, because I grew up in that church. They knew me and, and cared about me and, and trusted me, so they offered me the job. It was a good church, and I just thought, oh, this is it. I mean, the Lord just, I mean, when he kind of confirmed to me about pastoring, it had just been three, four months ago. So this is obvious next step for me, right? And so I told Joy, and we prayed about it, and we prayed, and we quickly came to the same conclusion that it was not God. We knew it. It's just one of those times you just know it in your heart that if we would have stepped into that, we would have been in rebellion. And so we didn't do it. And the Lord didn't release us into church ministry, vocational church ministry, until about 15 years later. And for those 15 years, I had many times of confusion. God, I know you said this. <coughs> I know you told me this, but yet you got me doing this. And just wondering, sometimes frustrated, sometimes accepting it and saying, okay, God, I'm just trusting you. But man, it was a roller coaster for a long time. And Joy had no choice but to ride on the roller coaster with me because I took her along. <laughs> and we had, some, we had some times where there was just a lot of, ah, because I just knew that I knew. And, but in hindsight now, I look and I see exactly what God was doing. I see exactly what he was doing and how he led me every step to this point here. Frankly, if I had taken that job back then, I probably wouldn't be here today. And you guys would really miss me. <laughs> Thank you for indulging me on that. Uh, but, you know, there was a lot of confusion. And we're going to have times of confusion in our life. There was a time of confusion for Elijah. The brook dried up. God told him to go down to this ravine. There's a brook there, and it's going to give you your water. All of a sudden, the brook's dry. Now, we would look at that and go, God, what are you doing? You told me to come here. There's no water. You know? But that was a season. It was a season for him to sit by that brook. Then the season was time for him to move to another place. 
frankly, God might have dried up that brook because he needed him to go to this widow to save her life. It's feasible, right? But I'm sure Elijah was confused when he first saw this brook drying up when God had specifically told him to go there. But God was trying to teach him dependence on him. Not to be dependent on the provision, but to be dependent on the provider. So he was moving him. Are you seeing a pattern here? God wants us to be dependent on him. And the seasons in our life, if we're following, if we're embracing them and accepting them and trusting God through them, it causes our dependence on him to grow than if we just go through the same season forever. Those seasons, those changes cause us to grow. He wanted him to move. And let me say today, God might be drying something up in your life because he wants you to move. There might be something in your life that's drying up and you're fighting it, wondering what's going on and you're confused because maybe even God took you to that place and now God's saying, that season's over. I need you to move. It's something to think about because if we don't know, we don't know. But if God's brought us to this place, he might be moving us to somewhere else. If the last time you remember moving and obeying the voice of God in your life has been 20, 30 years ago, you might be sitting by a dry brook. Not doing necessarily where, or not being where the Lord wants you to be. Elijah experienced more confusion when the, the boy's life was saved by the food that was provided, but then died. I'm sure he was confused when the widow came out and said, my son's dead. He's like, well, man, I just, God's providing the food so he could live. So I'm sure there was a little bit of confusion there. The miracle at Mount Carmel and the rain. Can you imagine the confusion that Elijah had when all the prophets of Baal are defeated? He prays for rain. The rain comes. It hasn't rained in three and a half years. I'm sure Elijah's just shaking his fist going, yes, yes, God. Yes, God, this is where now revival's coming. Get your, get your pens ready to take notes, everybody, because the revival is coming. The hearts of, the, of Israel are turning back to God. It's going to be the greatest moment in our life. We're going to be partying. They're going to hoist me up and carry me around. And within no time, he is running for his life. And I'm sure as he's running through the field for his life, he's saying, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why is this happening, God? I promise you he was confused too, wondering what was going on, because we know he was, because when he finally stopped, he sat down and said, God, I'm done. I'm done. Just kill me. Because of confusion that he had to deal with. Do you ever feel that way in your life? This is where we see the heart of God for Elijah and for us more than anywhere else in all the Bible, though. So I want you to watch this. Because the answer is simple of how we deal with these situations in our life, these seasons in our life. The answer is simple, but it's not necessarily easy. Because God brings Elijah to the mouth of a cave. He feeds Elijah and then he tells him to go to Mount Horeb. And he goes in this cave and spends the night. God says, I want you to come out of the cave, stand at the mouth of the cave. I'm going to pass by you. And many of you know this passage in the scripture. It's in 1 Kings 19, 11 to 13. It says, then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? We see the heart of God in this. The story of Elijah kind of culminates right here. I mean, there's more to his story after this, if you read it in the Bible. But this is, a, this is a moment where we see the heart of God. He's showing Elijah that 
Yes, I may have, the manifestations of my presence are great. You know, him providing food for him at a brook and having birds bring him food, him raising a boy from the dead, him providing food for the widow, him consuming his sacrifice from the sky. All the things that he did, those are great. But God said, the manifestations, the earthquake, the wind, the fire, those things are all fine. But boy, if you really want to know my heart, it's all about that whisper. It's all about that relationship with him. You, you ever wonder why God whispered to him and didn't yell at him? I believe, personally, he whispered because he wanted Elijah to have to come close. See, God wants to whisper to us. He doesn't want to have to yell to us. He wants us to be so close to him. He wants us to have such an intimate relationship with him, which, by the way, he paid for so that we could have. And he wants us to have that relationship with him so that we can hear him whisper. Because when we can hear him whisper, when we can, when we can feel him in our life, when we, we are with him and we are spending time with him, we're in his word, we're praying, we're seeking his face. When we're doing that, the seasons in life are still gonna come and go. But man, if you know, if you know who you're going through it with and you're with him, it sure makes it more palatable in our life. He's saying to him here, basically the message here is you can watch for my hand and the manifestations that I can do, watch for his hand, but I want you to seek my face. What you're really looking for is my face, not the great things I can do, not the supernatural things that I can do. Those are good, we love those things. I love the supernatural when someone gets healed or something miraculous happens. It's a wonderful thing to see God's hand move in a situation, but there is nothing, and I say this from personal experience, church, there is nothing like that intimate relationship with him, nothing. And let me tell you something, that is just as supernatural as any earthquake, any fire, any wind, any consuming, any person raised from the dead, any food that's being used over and over again. It's just as supernatural. In fact, you see here that when, when God wants to encourage Elijah, after he spoke to him with this whisper, Elijah says, you know, I'm the only prophet left. They've killed off all the rest of them. They hate you. You know, I'm the only one left in all of Israel that loves you, basically. And God to encourage him, doesn't say, well, Elijah, remember, you know, I'm more powerful than all of those other ones, though, and you know, we just did this whole altar thing where I consumed your offering on Mount Carmel. I, I helped you raise that person from the dead, all the food, the, the ravens. All. He didn't talk about any of his manifestations of his miraculous. You know what he told him to encourage him? And I think I have that verse. In, uh, do you have that verse, Tiffany? You can put it up. I'm going to have to read it up there. There it is. He says, yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. So to encourage Elijah, he doesn't talk about the manifestations. He talks about those people that still love him. He says, I have reserved a remnant of people that still love me. And that is more supernatural than raising somebody from the dead. The fact that 7,000 people loved him when the king and queen were working their tails off to get everybody to reject him and there's still 7,000, that's the kind of miracle you need to be looking at. And the fact that you love God, the fact that you want to serve God, the fact that you want to be in relationship with him and live for him, church, that's a miracle. That's a miracle. Because the Bible is very clear that no one can come to God unless the Holy Spirit draws him. So if you are even wanting that in your life, that is the, that is the Holy Spirit drawing you. Because I'm telling you, there are billions of people in the world that don't care one bit about our God. So the fact that you have that draw says that God is doing a miracle in your life. And he wants that relationship with you. He doesn't want you to just kind of know him casually and, and, and know about this God and serve him half-heartedly, he wants you to be all in. He wants you to love him with every bit of your being that you possibly have because that's where it's at. 
That's what will get us through the seasons of life. It's not going to change. It's not going to mean we don't have these seasons. But man, when we're with him and we know he's with us, <laughs> it makes it so much more bearable in our life. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me, please? And we'll pray and close. God is good. He's so good. He's good in our seasons all the time. I want to pray for us. I just want you to receive this prayer today. Just open your heart and let God produce his fruit in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we do love you today. God, we thank you that you are the Lord even in our seasons. You're our God. You're our Lord. You're our Savior when things are great. And you're that same person when things don't feel so great. Lord, would you help us today to trust you, to depend on you more every day, to trust you in the seasons of drought, to trust you in the seasons of intimidation, to trust you in all of our seasons, to trust you in the seasons of confusion. Help us to trust you, to be more dependent on you, Lord, and to know that that when something might dry up in our life, it's not because you're not there, it's because it's time to go to another season. Lord, we thank you today that you are faithful in all of it. That your name is faithful and true. And God, I thank you for the miracle of salvation. That you draw us to you. That you accept us. That your love is so great. Lord, greater than any miracle that we could ever see where the dead are raised and the poor are are fed. But that we would have a heart for you and want to live for you and know you and love you, God. Help us to see the miracle in that and to not take it lightly, but to give you everything. God, help us to give our hearts to you more every day. As John the Baptist said, that we would decrease so that you can increase in our life. Less of us and more of you. Less of us and more of you, God. Do your work. We thank you for the spiritual peaks, for the highs that we get. Lord, we thank you for those. We relish those and we love them. But God, we also thank you for the lows because we know that's where you're teaching us great things. Lord, we pray for our youth as they go on this trip that you would go with them, that you would bless them, Lord. I pray that their hearts would be open. Lord, that you would minister to them in a way that only you can do, that they would experience a spiritual high, that they would experience you powerfully, Lord, that they would experience the manifest presence of your your love in their life and it would change them forever. Change their hearts, Lord. Make them more like you. For your glory, God. We bless you today, Jesus. We love you. We honor you. May you receive all the glory in our lives. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Can we praise God one more time today? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Will God bless you?